Welcome, everybody, to the 14th episode of Sports Cards Live. Can't believe we're at number 14 already. Super exciting. So first, I, I do want, as I usually do, I want to thank our guest from last Saturday. Uh, sorry, last Wednesday, we had Stefan Perot. You can see that video on the YouTube channel. We had a great talk about everything sports cards and investing and being younger in the hobby. It was an awesome discussion. Check that out on the YouTube channel, Sports Cards Live. Please go subscribe there if you haven't already. I uh, also want to thank Dr. Brian Price, who was my guest on the show on Saturday. We had an amazing, a very long discussion. It went three hours. So if you're going to go back and watch that, if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend you take it in in, uh, in pieces. You don't have to watch it all at once because it was a long discussion. But boy, does he have some, did he have some amazing stories to tell. Before we bring out this week's guest, today's guest, Carlos Diego, I'm just going to mention um, on this Saturday, my guest is Billy Celio from Upper Deck, product manager. He's going to talk about how to design and build the set. That's going to be a really interesting discussion, so make sure to tune in on Saturday. And then next Wednesday, a week from today, my guest is a gentleman by the name of Justin. Justin is on Instagram as, as at 610 Sports Cards, and he's the gentleman who... Uh, ran the first couple virtual card shows on Instagram. Uh, I took part in the first one, it was awesome. The second one was a big success and uh, we're gonna talk about all things virtual during these, these times of COVID and uh, we're gonna get into that discussion. Also wanna mention, if you're new to the show today and you wanna participate and ask uh, questions and comments of Carlos and myself, make sure you look at the ticker down there, make sure you go to streamyard.com Facebook, click that big blue button if you're watching on YouTube. Your, uh, all your comments will come through quicker. Uh, Facebook watchers, you are on a 10-second delay. YouTube, you guys are in real time. Last thing I want to mention, today, the Sports Card Expo out of Toronto announced their, officially announced the Virtual Expo, June 19th and 20th. So be sure to check that out. Um, should be a really good time. Uh, and we're going to support this thing and hope that it grows because it likely won't be a one-time event. So Hoping that everybody is able to attend that, uh, check it out and support it and talk about it and let's uh, help grow that as it's just a good, healthy thing for the hobby. All right. First thing, we're going to bring up Ryan's comment here. He thinks this will be a fun discussion tonight with Carlos because I'm going to pick his brain and Carlos has a lot of history. So without further ado, let's bring out Carlos Diego. Carlos, welcome to Sports Cards Live, episode 14. Super happy to have you on, brother. Known you for a long time. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing extremely well, Jeremy. Thank you very much for having me on. I really hey, appreciate it's it. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you. You know, we go back, we go back a fair ways, mostly from the Sports Card Expo in Toronto, where, um, you know, I, we've been, we, I know you've been doing the show since the early 90s. I've been doing it since the early 2000s. And I, I've always noticed your booth. I'd walk by it and you've got amazing, amazing uh, pieces on your showcases. Some of the probably some of the best showcases in the whole hall. And um, I do remember one time, this is probably 10 years ago now, you you came up to me, you found me, or maybe I was walking by your booth, yeah. and you said to me, hey, you collect Howard Chuck. I've got these cards, uh, this set of printing plates. What do you want to pay me for them? Just let me know. And I said, I don't know, I'll give you this much. He said, all right, sold, take them. I'm like, all right, hey, thanks, man. And I, I, actually I, rem was, I actually remember you saying, oh, maybe I should have offered you lower. <laughs> well you were so quick so
find the technical difficulty. Yep. But uh, oh, and I think it, uh, when we got to know each other, the best was probably just this last year at the national when I in Chicago. Oh, and uh, I basically made your booth my view at the national at your booth. It was the, you know, I have that. That was anyway, an idea about your history and the hobby relatively quickly. And then we're going to get into the good stuff, but why don't you take us through Jeremy, I'm having a little bit of difficulty from the beginning of time for don't worry about the difficulty. Okay. Carlos, if it happens, just talk a little freeze at times, everybody. I apologize for that. I think it's just how busy the various networks are right now. So if you're experiencing any technical difficulties, just fight through it, guys. I, and I appreciate your patience with that, but there's nothing we can really do about it. So Again, Carlos, you got into the hobby in 1979. Why don't you start us off and take us from 1979 through till about, I think it's about 2007 we're going to go through here. Yeah. So um, the first time I ever came across cards was probably when I was a little kid, about 10 years old. My first pack or packs buying were the, actually the Wayne Gretzky packs, the 7980 Opeachy. I used to go to the store almost every day and buy these packs and I remember them vividly because of the blue and playing flipsies and trying to win cards off my friends. Uh, so I would say that would have been my first experience at 10. And then probably in 1980 is, uh, is when uh, I bought, I think, my first Star Wars. I think Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Uh, beyond that, going fast forward, I've, you know, through the 80s, I've bought cards throughout the years, all different sports, but mainly hockey. Um, if we forward to 1991, uh, which a lot of people want to know about sluggers, and you would mention the jack of all trades, uh, to make a long story short, essentially I'd been working and doing business with uh, Jack, the previous owner, and what happened was, uh, you know, he he wanted to sell the store, and I, I he gave me a price of uh, exactly thirty thousand uh, dollars for the four walls and the name. Didn't have the money, but. What happened was I bought a lot of 90-91 hockey that year, and the distributor says, you know, try this French hockey. Same thing, but it's in French. And I said, uh, I still remember at the time saying, who in the world is going to buy this hockey? This, who's going to buy French hockey? So I ended up taking a chance, bought three cases. Uh, yeah, right, three cases. And, uh, you know, surprisingly that year, those cases appreciated to well over 10,000, maybe 12,000 a case. Essentially what I did was I sold, I traded the cases for the store. And that's how I got sluggers. That's exactly the story. So so you actually you actually traded unopened cases of Upper Deck French, which later on tumbled in value. Yes. For the ownership of sluggers sports cards, which was, as you mentioned, I don't know if you really gave that enough uh, detail there, but guys, like, Slugger's Sports Cards was owned by a gentleman named Jack, who was the subject of a documentary done on Netflix by his son. And I recommend everyone go watch it because it's pretty cool how it, it's really a, a bit of a story about the history of the hobby. And um, you can watch it on Netflix. It's called Jack of All Trades. Yeah. And um, and I remember watching it a, a few several months ago, maybe six, seven months ago. And, you know, all of a sudden there's Carlos on the screen with several speaking parts. And I thought, oh, isn't that cool? I know him. So 
really excited to to be able to talk about it and let people know that you know that was it was a really interesting documentary and um people can go watch that to get the full story of, of the prior previous owner but you were the guy who bought the store or traded for the store from jack so that that's a really uh really cool story um anything else sort of about your history in the hobby before we get into the the, the real juicy pieces of the discussion well, I didn't want to be long, but, you know, Sluggers was a really important part of my life. Uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, when that happened, I thought it was going to be a short period of time and it ended up being 17 amazing years. Really? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy the hobby. Even to this day, I still, I love it. And, but that was a big part of it. Like me enjoying it even more, you know, and that's the time before eBay, the time before the internet and Oh God, feel old, but you know, that's yeah. how far back I go. Right. You know, were yeah. you, were you working the store? Were you the guy that was there every day? Yes. I was there pretty much every day. And do you, to, to this day now, when you're set up at the expo or other shows around Toronto or the national, even do you, do you still run into customers that you had from your sluggers yes. day? Yes. I run into many customers, even people in their thirties saying, I remember being a kid in your store. Yeah, right. I'm sure. I'm sure. I get that a lot. I bet me. you do. I bet you do. That, yeah. That's pretty awesome. So so you sold the, or you closed out the shop in 2007. And yes. since then, you've you've kept on doing the expo. You've kept on doing the national. You're still yes. involved in the hobby. What how have the last 13 years gone for you? And take it to the next level. What have you what have you seen in the hobby in the last 13 years that really sticks out? There has been so much growth in the hobby. You know, I mean, I've just seen cards go for astronomical prices. You can look at golden auctions and, and you know, you just, your mouth is open. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, cards that were, you know, hundreds of dollars back, back then are now thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, right? I mean, sure. I would have never guessed it, to be honest with you. So, I mean, the, the intrinsic value of cards today are far greater than they were even five or 10 years ago. It's unbelievable. I mean, you can pull 10,000, $20,000 cards out of packs. It's, it's unbelievable, but it, yeah. it's, it's the truth. It's reality. Yeah. I mean, I think the hobby has gone away from being a, a, a meant for kids primarily yeah. to more meant for adults with discretionary income. There's obviously still brands that apply to kids that are more, price friendly if you will but even the kids these days uh, and we've talked about it before on the show they have they pack some serious heat all right let's let's talk about basketball because you're a guy who i mean i know you've got hockey in your in your in your past and your blood but you're a guy who has really embraced the basketball part of the hobby up here up in canada you're out of toronto and your showcases at the expo are filled with basketball cards and your expo, your your showcases at the national are filled with basketball cards. Yeah, let's talk about the basketball market because it's really gone crazy lately, and people are interested in learning as much as they can because I think a lot of people are looking to sort of expand out. Especially when I when I say a lot of people there, I mean Canadian hockey collectors or hockey collectors are now looking to branch out. Myself included, as recently as a couple of years ago. What is going on in, in basketball? Like, I'll just leave it at that, Carlos. What is going on in basketball that has made it grow so heavily lately and that is bringing in so many new, brand new collectors and collectors from other sports? Two great names. Michael Jordan. Love saying <laughs> that name. And uh, LeBron James. 
those would be the two big ones. But essentially, I mean, I've been doing basketball for 20, 25 years. And, you know, it's only, you know, obviously the Raptors championship helped a lot. It brought a lot of uh, collectors to the forefront. Uh, the trade of Kawhi Leonard coming over to the Raptors, like that's a big name. And, you know, of course, them winning the championship, but also, um, you know, even in the last month, if you were watching, you know, um, the Last Dance documentary, it's a fantastic documentary about Michael Jordan and the Bulls uh, and his will to win and the six championships. So there has been such a growth in basketball. I haven't seen basketball grow this much. Probably, probably, it's probably grown in the last two years than it has in the last 15, if you want to. It's called grown faster in the right? last two. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot more people are actually watching basketball. They just enjoy the sport. I mean, I'm not going to say Canada is always going to be hockey country, always. Right. But as a worldwide sport, Canada's kind of, you know, hockey's on the bottom of the totem pole, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. So, you know, basketball is just worldwide. It's just that much more popular. And uh, the revenue that it generates is is insane compared to hockey. Right. Yeah. And do you think I mean, I think a lot of it also has to do with just the amount of media attention on the stars and what these guys do, like the last dance, um, just all the, they're all over the highlights. They're all over your sneakers. They're all over your, you know, they're 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 uh, sponsored logos are all over the clothes that people are wearing. People want to be like them. We've talked about it a lot lately, but it really does ring true. Um, what, so, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, the biggest stars of the game uh, are obviously, you know, there's, they, they help maintain that, that baseline of interest, but there's been a lot of renewed interest or new interest lately, not only all over those two goats or icons, but also on some of the younger guys like Luka Doncic and yep. uh, Zion Williamson. Why don't you, how do you feel these guys compare to the, the all-time greats? And not just on the court, but, but in the hobby as well. Because right now their cards are selling for big dollars. Do you think it's justified? What are your thoughts on that? It's totally justified. Luka Doncic is, he's the real deal. I haven't seen someone like that come along in a long time and can just put up triple doubles like there's no tomorrow. Zion Williamson is another one too. I mean, there were a lot of... Uh, his cards were actually going for really cheap back in December. Uh, but then, you know, uh, you could have bought a lot of his stuff for peanuts compared to, you know, when he first stepped on the court. And, you know, he's been mentioned in the same breath as Michael Jordan for a lot of different things, right? Uh, but he, those two are also under the Jordan brand. They're young superstars. You know, people love guys like that that are 19, 20 years old with, potential i mean you were talking about one that's you know been in the year been in the league a year and one that hasn't even been in the league for you know four or five months if right. you want to call it that right you know he, he didn't play you know last november he just started playing i think it was february maybe february yeah, right around Jan yeah january february somewhere right before there. right before the league shut down right yeah. before the league shut down and he was just getting better every single game like, I haven't seen a player like that in a long time. And I've watched a lot of first overall picks. Yeah. But nothing like Zion, nothing like Luca. So, well, Zion isn't Zion's like he's, he's a power forward kind of player. Like, he's, yeah. he's strong. He's big. You know, he, 
uh, and he dunks like like with he's a power dunker like he yep and that's what people want right they want that guy who scores who scores heavy who makes the highlight reels and all that so I, I don't I, I it doesn't surprise me that he is as popular as he is when when those cards you know pre him starting playing there was so much hype his cards were selling for big money even at the national. Those uh, Panini yeah. National packs were, yeah. were selling for big money with the hopes big of hitting, hoping to hit a guy who hadn't even played yet. And, and those were all in his college uniform, yeah. Right, right. And then I was thinking to myself, you know, would I go spend six, $700 on a card of this guy who hasn't even played yet without at least seeing him hit the court one time to make sure he can play with all these other veterans? And then he did it. And his first game was a little slow, but next thing you know, he's hitting 30 points in a game. And uh, and he's proving that he belongs where he is, which is as the, you know, as a superstar in the NBA with maybe a couple of weeks experience. So he certainly didn't disappoint. That's for sure. And I think um, people who invested in his cards early probably uh, did okay. And people who collected them early probably were lucky to get in when they did because the prices only went up. Yeah. Right. Cool. So what do you think about the impact of the, as far as basketball goes and that market exploding, what do you think about the impact of the Asian and the European markets right now? How are they? I mean, it's kind of a, a loaded question, but what are your thoughts on those markets and how they're impacting this, the basketball hobby? The Asian market has been big for a long time. Um, you know, I've seen collectors even from the Asian market come into the national and drop untold amounts of money on, you know, Jordan, LeBron, you know, whoever it is. Uh, you know, at that time, uh, they're a big market, as big as probably the USA, their influence is, is pretty massive. Uh, you know, the European market has gained some ground because of Luca. Uh, so, you know, that market is, is pretty big. I mean, he's brought a lot. He's brought a lot. He's brought a lot uh, to, um, you know, uh, to Europe. Uh, just overall, I mean, if we're talking strictly on the Asian market, there's there's no reason why that market can't even get bigger than it already is. I mean, literally any person that collects in Asia starts with Jordan and LeBron and works down. Right. Guaranteed. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the easy, that's the easy buy, right? Everyone knows. That's the easy buy. Yeah. And and we'll get later on guys, we're going to get, Carlos is going to talk about kind of how to, how to figure out who to buy that isn't obvious being that is how to, how to buy the non Lucas, the non Zions for rookie cards. All right. So staying on basketball, we're going to move on to, uh, to kind of more investing in a, in a few seconds here, but um, brands to buy in basketball. Can you let people know what, you know, if you, if you're somebody out there and, and you want to come into the basketball hobby, you want to kind of dip your feet, pick up your first few pieces, what cards should you be looking for? Um, to kind of, you know, as an entry level uh, in investment slash collectible. One word: prism. Panini prism is Panini. the king. Yeah. So, for people who who are going to start to collect basketball that may have been doing ho- hockey, prism is the equivalent of young guns. Okay? okay. So it's the best non-auto rookie you can get, bar none. Right. Okay. Second would be maybe Donruss Optic. And depending on your budget, National Treasures. So National Treasures would be the equivalent of, of Cup. Of the right? Cup. cup or, or, or the old, uh, or Exquisite. When exquisite, I yes. Like the old Exquisite said. Basketball. Yes, that's what right. it would be like, right? right? So those are the three that I more or less kind of have my hands in. 
Um, there's a lot of brands that come along the way, like Immaculate, Donruss. Um, there's a new one uh, called Tmall, an Asian exclusive. Select is another one that's gained popularity. Um, but most people generally stick to Prism. And and in basketball, Panini has the exclusive, right? So you're Correct. only buying Panini cards. You can only buy Panini. They have the license, and my guess is no one will ever take it away from them. Okay, so also expanding on the Prism thing for everybody, Prism is the ba the base rookie. Like that would be the young gun equivalent. Would be the Prism. Correct. What about the Prism Silver? Can you what what is the what's all what's that all about? So that's just a variation. It's not numbered, but on the back it'll say Prism. Uh, now that variation is a very is a very popular. Um, that's a that's really popular. Uh, that particular variation. Most people. After the base prism, uh, they want to collect the silver prism. And then, you know, if they want to get into the colors, there's cracked ices of different colors, numbered ones, there's one of ones, there's tiger stripes, there's all kinds of different ones, right? You can, you know, they can sell up for hundreds to tens of thousands, you know, depending right. on which one you, you, you pull, right? So uh, you want to... You yeah. basically want to, if you're, if you're going to go past the prism or the prism silver and the prism silver, like, I don't know how often they're seated, but if the, if the set is a couple hundred cards, you're going to get a couple silvers per box. Is that yes, about right? Usually. Yeah. Yes. A couple silvers per box. Uh, depends on which box you're buying. I mean, hobby boxes, you'll probably get a little more than retail and then there's blasters and all kinds, but usually you'll get a couple silvers inside, inside a box. Now that could be of a rookie or the silvers could be of just like a base player right doesn't right. necessarily have to be a rookie that comes in there makes sense so it's just a shorter printed version of the base prism yes a little bit shinier kind of like Correct. a top chrome was back in the day yep refractors is it's what like i a call refractor. it it's a refractor yeah. it's a refractor essentially right. what it is if if you collect bowman chrome baseball you'll know what i'm talking about it's a refractor right just not numbered it's just not not numbered right right so it, it's basically a bit of a step up for someone who instead of maybe spending a hundred dollars wants to spend five hundred dollars correct on yes. somebody's card okay yeah. cool now i want you the next thing just on this topic because it's prudent especially to people watching who've been to expos but maybe have never or maybe someone who's never been to a card show someone who's been to an expo but you've never been to the national in the states and the national it it sir it, it moves from city to city it's in chicago pretty much every second year and then in the off year it's in either atlantic city or cleveland it's been in baltimore yeah. um, i've been to shows in all these cities for the national can you explain carlos just how much different the national is to say even the expo which is a big big show for most people i mean it's a big show there's no doubt but the national is a whole other beast can you sort of paint that picture for people yes the national it Comparing national to expo is apples and oranges, unfortunately. It's not the same thing. Um, you know, expo is 90% hockey related, 95%. Um, the national is completely the opposite. Uh, you've maybe got 5% hockey if you're lucky, and then everything else is divided amongst baseball, basketball, and football, um, which are the kings there. I mean, realistically, I've done every national there is. And I can tell you straight out that, you know, hockey doesn't really sell or move nearly as well as if it were in Toronto or rather the, you know, the uh, Toronto Expo. Yeah. Right. So the national is a completely different beast. Um, if you're going there to try to sell hockey cards, you might starve. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. I mean, I set up at the national for probably five years in a row in the early 2010s. And um, I only really had hockey with me and I did move. I did move a fair share because, you know, when you're the only guy in the room or I shouldn't yeah. say the only, but when you're one of the only guys in the room with hockey, the people who are looking for it tend to find you, especially in Chicago where there yeah. is, there are a lot of Blackhawks collectors and there were hockey. I, there were a couple, there were these two ladies actually that every time I'd come, they'd come to my booth and they'd fill in their sets of cup and dominion, the, the RPAs. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, there are, there are hockey collectors there. Um, and even walking around the national, there's more hockey there than I think a lot of people expect. There's not a lot relative to the other sports. Yeah. You hear about that, but there, it's not like there's no hockey there. You can find some, but the selection there, it's not going to be anywhere close to what you see at the, at the national. Similarly at the expo, you see very little basketball, baseball, football, right. and, and a lot more hockey. But even speaking to that, in recent recent expos in Toronto, there's been a lot more basketball, baseball than in, than in historically, and a lot more people asking for it. Has that sort of been your experience at the expo the last couple of times? Yeah, it has been. I mean, listen, basketball and baseball and football has grown tremendously at expo. Okay, uh, before many years ago, you would find little to none. You know, so it has gotten a little bit bigger. Uh, I can't say in the last three years that the hockey, you know, component has has improved at the national. I can't honestly say that. Um, you know, I've uh, brought very little hockey there, and it hasn't done done the same, unfortunately. Right? But you know, when people are coming there, very they're just looking for you know the the goats essentially and the top players of in any sport. But very rarely they're asking for Ovechkin and. Crosby and Gretzky and all, you know, which everybody wants in Toronto, right? Yeah, they're asking for Jordan and Kobe and LeBron. and That's exactly who they're asking for. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so, I mean, you know, we talked earlier and I've I've talked to people about this all the time. There's this whole movement in the hobby towards investing and all these investors Many are veterans like ourselves who invest. Many are brand new to the hobby. There's all these new Facebook groups showing up, a ton of new YouTube content focused on investing and advice and top five cards to buy and all these different things. You can find it all over the place. Let's talk about the people involved, though. I mean, to me, there's like a continuum. You have the investor on one side. You have the collector on the other side. And... Everybody in the hobby fits somewhere in between there. Very few people are pure investors and very few people are pure collectors. I shouldn't say very few. There's there's several of these people that yeah. are up at the extreme ends because they just, it's all they do. But there's a lot of people in the middle. Where do you fit in to that investor collector continuum? Which side are you closer to now? And, and how has it evolved for you over your, your hobby career? Um, I would like to say I'm both. I'm pretty much both. I'm 50-50. There's a lot of stuff I keep for just myself. And there's a lot of stuff I keep for investment purposes, you know, looking to resell down the line, right? Um, but I, there's a lot of stuff I truly collect. I really enjoy having. I mean, try to buy my, try to buy Jordan and LeBron stuff for me. Good luck, right? You know, I know. <laughs> I'm probably not selling it. No, you know? I remember being at your booth at the last the the, the November Expo, and uh, and even even at the at the Chicago National in August, and seeing your cards and being like, you know, trying to buy them a bit better than I could from you, and uh, you know, you, it's hard to buy 
great cards yeah. at anything less than the going rate. And we're going to talk about comps and yeah. setting prices a little bit later. Before we move on, I'm going to address some comments that we've had coming through sure. so far. We've had we've had several bu bunch of people saying hello. Guys, welcome everybody to the show. Always a pleasure to have you all watching. So thank you so much. And apologies for the technical difficulties at the beginning. Yeah, Mitchell, the screen was completely frozen. Hopefully that's all done by now. So what does Troy have to say? Troy says, hey, Carlos, I was a regular customer back in the day at Sluggers. Used to get a box of cards, hit up the Toys R Us, looking for McFarland yes. figures and over <laughs> a golden star for a bite to eat on my way oh, to work. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Um, Glenn says, Carlos got me my, my carry price car cup RPA. I mean, that's a big card. So yeah, kudos to you for setting up Glenn. I know Glenn very well. Good, great guy. All right, here you Here's a bunch more. Uh, Mitchell, Carlos sold me my grant for the cup one of one quad auto tag. Yep. We were talking about the Jack of all trades. There's been some chatter about that. So let's address some of this. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. But Jason says, Jack of all trades was a good documentary. Ziggy, my buddy from YouTube says, I actually thought it was a terrible movie and a waste of time. They tell you it's a documentary, but it's a whining story about a guy with no relationship with his dad. Well, and then Ziggy goes on to say that uh, we need a real documentary on the hobby. Someone needs to explain what happened and, and how did it change? So, I mean, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, Ziggy, because I started watching that Jack yeah. of all trades too. And I thought, okay, is this about a guy and about his relationship with his father? Where's the sports card content that I so greatly crave and, hunger for that I want to see. And it was mostly about that. But what I what I took away from it were the little hobby pieces that were there, especially when I saw people that I know and the footage from the expo and they were going around talking to people. So I hear you. And I think if you had some history in Toronto, which very few people overall watching would have because not everyone's from there or been there. But if you're from Toronto, especially if you're someone like Carlos, who actually knew the guy and bought the store from him, it would there were interesting pieces, but I do agree. It was, it was a, a bit of a drama about his relationship with yep. his father, but even that, I, I, I will admit, I, I, I enjoyed it. I came away happy. I watched it. So uh, Barry says solid flick puts the link up to uh, the YouTube link. So I guess you guys can find that on YouTube if you want. Also, uh, excuse me, Billy, who had an awesome uh, break last night on YouTube on his channel, Cardboard Nostalgia. He says the docs will be coming. There's too much money flowing into Tops 2020 in the market in general. There'll be a big sheet, a big short doc about the hobby. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, Karn, Karn wants to know if uh, you'll trade the, the LeBron Ultimate <laughs> back to him. <laughs> hey? No chance. No chance, Karn. Yeah. <laughs> Once it's gone, it's gone. A card like that, once it's gone, it's gone. All right, I need the exquisite. You trade for the exquisite or for, yeah, for sure. Towards for sure. it. Actually, uh, Golden has a BGS 9.5 three-color LeBron rookie coming on auction block uh, on their next one, which is a lot of people are speculating it's going to crack a million dollars. I think it'll trout, crack a million dollars. Beating the trout. I, I, I would think even it would be like at $500,000, like in no time at all. Yeah, uh, I, I, I foresee that cracking a million dollars for sure. I wonder if it could crack too. I mean, that's a big number, but it's possible. There's a lot of money pouring in right now. 900,000 um, for Mike Trout. Yeah, nine 950 or something like that. So a lot of people are speculating that this next LeBron is going to crack that, is going to beat the Trout, which set a modern day, a rookie for a record for modern day card sale. Um, <clears throat> let's keep going here with the comments, uh, Carlos. Uh, Ziggy's on fire here. Cardboard nostalgia. Let's not go. Okay, we're gonna skip some of that between the guys. 
But he goes on to say, NBA is truly global with fans and players. No other league has the reach and anyone can relate to shoot hoops. I mean, that's true. Not everyone can throw on a pair of skates and go skating and shoot a a puck with a stick, right? Exactly. But everybody shot hoops in school, like even, you know, in phys ed class. So Mm -hmm. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Ziggy then says, Carlos, well said. I think the NBA is looking for the next face and it's Luca more than Zion in my opinion. That I will agree to 100%. What Luka he just more said. than Zion, hundred percent. Yeah, I believe Luca is going to be the is going to be the face of the NBA. I really do. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Here's a different question, new topic. This is from Billy. What NBA rookie card busted the biggest in hobby terms? Biggest monetary fall from grace? Do you do you know what that might be? Good question. Are we talking about a first overall pick or? I, I think I think we're talking about a guy who came out with the most hype that just fell flat on his face and put it on the back burner. We will we Markel will Fultz. We'll come back to that. Ziggy wants to know: Are you ripping National Treasures basketball? What are your thoughts on the prices of over fifteen k a case? I am not ripping National Treasures. Fair. I will probably Fair. enter some breaks, but I will not rip it at that kind of price. Yeah. No way. Fair. <laughs> Ziggy then says Ogden was huge about Wiggins is not meeting expectations. There's a Canadian player as well. And uh, KAT, I believe Carl Anthony Towns is on the decline since rookie year. So, I mean, players come out, there's big hype yeah, and they fall flat on their face or they just don't meet the hype and they become average, which is still pretty darn good in the whole yeah. scheme of things, but they just don't meet the hobbies expectations of them and the cards come down in value and that happens in all sports yes uh, every year right so um definitely definitely worth a a great great comment ziggy says amen carlos preach so i don't know what he was referring to but something you said uh made sense barry says yep prism silvers are legit i mean there's someone else who knows more about than just hockey like you know many people up here in canada do but uh so that's great um Ziggy says nothing this year is equal to NT basketball. I, I think that's got to be true. Just that—that to- that is one hundred percent true. That's that's the Lamborghini of the basketball world. Yeah, based just based on print runs, right? Yeah, so- just based on print runs. Plus, they're you know hard signed auto patches. Uh, it's just a higher end product, and you know you can look at Lucas from last year. I mean, they they push seventy five, eighty thousand for nine fives. Right. I don't even know what Zion is going to push this year. It's going to be interesting to see when they first come out. Right. It really will. It really will. Well, Paul Cashman says that Zion may be susceptible to bad location to start, you know, just market, market driven market. Yeah. Imagine if he was drafted to LA or New York. Oh yeah. Darcy says, I can't believe Giannis doesn't have more love best player right now in the NBA and is killing it in stats. What are your thoughts on, on Giannis compared to Luca and Zion when you're thinking about younger guys and getting it, getting invested in them? I actually think Giannis is getting a lot of love. I think he is probably the best player in the NBA. I mean, you know, the bucks are first in their division and, and I can only see them getting better. I mean, realistically, I see them going all the way to the finals. And yeah. Giannis is a big part of that. Um, when you his, to, his stuff is is really high priced. Right. So, and when so, you go to the when you go to the finals in basketball, that usually results in an uptick in your card values and selling prices too, right? So Darcy says he thinks it was Danny Manning that might have been the uh the biggest <laughs> ball from Grace. Maybe. There were a couple others, there were a couple others mentioned. Um Ziggy says, I love this show. Why aren't more people watching this gem mint show? I should have named it the gem mint show. Hey, Ziggy. 
Thanks, bud. Appreciate the comment. Uh, Darcy says he's a beast and I have followed basketball since the seventies, but I love magic Johnson. He's talking about Giannis there. Right. Ziggy says NBA is the best league because players have the power to change location after rookie cart rookie contract. I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, it's cool because they can move and create these super teams, but no, because to me, it's like, it, it, it just, it allows them, it, it allows there to be too much parity in the, in the league. And I like there to be a more of an equal playing field, like, like salary caps created. Remember the old days, even the Yankees can just buy their way to world series. Yep. Um, I know you can't really do that in hockey anymore. No, you, can't. you can't at all. And in basketball, the players just decide what's, what's going on. So, okay. Last comment here. Uh, Billy says, is new Orleans any worse than Cleveland as a market? Not that Zion is LeBron. Well, that's a, that's a great point, right? Because, I don't know. I mean, I've been to Cle- I've been to both. Um, Me too. But I don't. I can't really speak to their sports, uh, the craziness of their fans, and the the perception of the of the sports fans on a more national and international basis based on those two cities. So, do you have any comment on that, Carlos? I, I tend to agree with him. I don't think New Orleans is any worse than Cleveland uh, to, in terms of a market. I mean. Bottom line is, is the best players in the in the draft. They go to the worst teams. There's nothing you right. can do about that, right? You know, right. Uh, you know. I mean, obviously, like I said, if he was drafted to like a New York or or a Los Angeles Lakers or something like that, his market. I mean, his, then his prices would be double, triple what they are realistically, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Jay Servianto says, "What do you think about soccer cards?" So, totally an off-topic question, but I, I appreciate the question, uh, Jay. Um, let's touch on it quickly, Carlos. I can't speak to soccer cards. I've never bought or opened any. I don't follow the sport at all. Um, I know some of the names just from the card hobby and maybe one day I'll get more interested in it. But how about you, Carlos? What, what do you think about soccer cards? Soccer cards are on the rise, especially any of the stuff by Prism, any of the older stuff that has Ronaldo or Messi in it for sure. Um, it's, I, I, I think that, you know, anybody that buys, uh, soccer, um, I, I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great buy in all honesty. You, so really you think is. it's actually undervalued right it's now? It's undervalued. Ha, uh, soccer is way undervalued. And the guy Killian Mbappe, uh, I mean, he's the biggest thing to come along and he's out of 2018, uh, world cup prism. So and it's a sport with, with global appeal, probably bigger than any other sport on the bigger planet. than any sport. And the card hobby is still, it's really in its infancy. I mean, they've been making stickers for decades, but they're not real. They really haven't caught on um, over, uh, you know, in North America anyway. And so I, I, I would agree because of the, just because of how big the sport is worldwide, it may be time to start looking at it. And even for a guy like me who loves, I, I love cards more than I love sports. I, I admit it. I just yeah, do. It's just me cards in my blood. I enjoy watching the sports, but not as much as I enjoy collecting cards. So I could see myself dabbling in soccer a little bit. Um, hopefully I'm not too late for that. But uh, Ziggy says, I understand, Jeremy. I'm not sure what that was, but I love the players, not the teams. And the reason why I put this comment on screen is because it really speaks to just how differently we all approach this hobby, right? Like some people collect their team and their team only, and they don't care who played on that team. Right. Some people collect the player because they're on their favorite team. And when that player leaves, they still collect that player. And some people just pick a player for whatever reason. They seem to identify with this player and they collect them through their career, which is, I think, what Ziggy's coming from. So I think that's really a, you know, a very fair comment. And I think it represents a lot. I think both perspectives represent just about everybody who's watching. So thanks for the comment, Ziggy. Appreciate that one for sure. 
He goes on to say Cleveland fans are more supportive all around. New Orleans is more of a football college. You know, that's an insight that I wouldn't have known. So that's that's helpful insight and maybe speaks to more maybe a Luca over Zion. If you're looking to allocate your, you know, deploy your capital in the hobby, that might be a, a, a factor you have to consider. All right, uh, Darcy wants to see some killer cards, but we're not going to do that yet, Darcy. You can see them on my Instagram. See, yeah, yeah. See I got all the big ones there. He's got all his. There you go, all the big cards on the Instagram. There's the uh, there's his Instagram right there, Slugger at Sluggers fifty five guys. So definitely check that out uh, and follow him too, please. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, he's got a great account. I've been following him ever since I got started uh mbappe's are on fire yes nick says me and carlos had fun with soccer so you guys must have uh, <laughs> yeah correct you must uh, have my great buddies ziggy ziggy says uh panini soccer is under value if i had extra cash i would buy it and stash it away like that that might be great advice you know that just might yeah. be great advice i actually i actually pulled out some 2018 prism soccer that i broke like two years ago and i found some sentiment for grading right because i couldn't believe it because right? the cards had become relevant, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a bit about, um, okay, before we do that, one last comment from Ziggy here. He wants to know, will you ever sell the PC cards or will those, will you will them to family when you go on? Oh. Because I think this Pro, will help. I'm going to say will it. Will it? Okay. Because see, that kind of helps to determine what, like, are you more investor? Are you more collector? Or where do you fall in that continuum? Because, you know, you said earlier you're 50 50, which puts you right in the middle. So and that may be true. Jordan and LeBron would be the second, <laughs> and maybe everything else the first. Got it. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're in that. Yeah. It's easier to invest in guys, especially when you have thousands of dollars tied up in a piece of cardboard. Yeah. It's easier to call that an investment because if you don't correct, you know, it's real money that you have tied up in these cards. Right. Mm -hmm. So Ziggy's very happy to hear that. Yeah. That's the way I feel too, Ziggy, about a lot of my favorite cards. I don't ever plant maybe on my deathbed. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. speaking of investing Carlos in yeah. cards, <laughs> Ziggy, I'll be quiet now. Speaking of investing in cards, a lot of people right now, and if you watched my episode with Brian Gray a couple Saturdays ago, he mentioned that, you know, he's out there buying multiples and multiples of cards. He's buying all the, all the Jerry Rices he can find, all the Dan Marinos. He was talking a lot about football, um, all, all in baseball, all the, uh, oh, what's, what's that guy's name that's super popular? Um, Oh, I, it's just slipped my mind right now. But he's buying up all No, I'm thinking about um, <clears throat> slipping my... It'll come to me. I'll put it on the back burner. If you ever can't think of something, this is, this happens to me all the time. Totally off topic. You're trying to... Something slips your mind. You can't think about it. Put it on the back burner. It just appears in your mind later on. That's what I, that's what I find. Anyway, um, I want to talk about owning multiple copies of cards for investment purposes and... If you think that strategy is going to work long term, and the reason I ask is because I think about it a lot. Yes, Acuna, whoever said Acuna, that's who I was thinking of. Thank you, okay. Ronald Acuna. Okay. When, you, when you're stockpiling the same card over and over again, and you go to sell them down the road eventually, because you are doing it to invest and make a return on your investment, if you've got 20, 50, 100 copies of a card, along with other people, how easy is it going to be to ultimately liquidate those cards over, over time and ensure that there's still a demand for them down the road? Because if everybody 
list them at the same time for sale, while supply will possibly exceed demand. What do you think about owning multiple copies of cards for investment purposes? I, I don't think there's any harm in owning multiple cards. I mean, if you can afford to do it, I guess that's really what it comes down to. I've always said, if you're going to invest, invest in the best guys. You can never go wrong with buying the best. If you can, if you can, again, if you can afford it, right? So there, again, no, no harm in, you know, owning four, five copies, 10 copies, whether it's Acuna or Trout or LeBron or Jordan or whatever the case may be. Because down the line, there's always going to be people who want to buy those. You know, I mean, most people like to invest in younger players like Acuna. I mean, you know, the, the new guy is uh, Jason Dominguez, right? You know, people just love youth and potential. You know, later on, yeah, you know, you're probably going to be able to sell them down the road. I mean, trout was a, I mean, if somebody's going to spend 900 grand on a trout, you know, who knows what they'll spend in five years on a trout? I don't know, right? Yeah. And you know what else comes to mind? If you look at PWCC's monthly auctions, I mean, they've got sometimes dozens of the same card for sale and yeah. they all sell. So that's unbelievable. Sort of, right. I mean, I, I think there will be a market for cards down the road for these players. And even right now, people are still stockpiling Ken Griffey Jr.'s and Barry yep. Sanders and Emmett Smith's, right? Mm -hmm. All these guys' cards from the mass production era of the early 90s. And these cards are, you know, 30 years later, rising in prices, tons being tons being moved from collector to investor and uh, in all directions all the time. So I definitely think that there, you know, I, I am coming around to think that there is opportunity for people that are doing that down the road, as long as they're getting the right player who is going to actually turn into what has to be a Hall of Famer if you're looking for a 10-year-plus holding uh, they have to be relevant in 10 years plus. And the only way to be relevant 10 years from now, in my opinion, or 15 or 20 years from now, is to become a Hall of Famer or an iconic player for some other reason. But you need yeah. iconic. You need iconic to so, be down the road. I have a story. Uh, three years ago at the National, okay, um, we're talking about iconic players. I mean, Jordan hasn't stepped onto a court for 17 years, right? Uh, I remember PSA 10s. Uh, specifically at that show, they were around 15,000. And I'm thinking like, that's crazy. Like, I mean, it's just too much money. Yeah. And then lo and behold, maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago at a golden auctions, one finished for 96. And I'm like, this is three years later. I, I'm beside myself. I, I, I can't even imagine this. I mean, you know, so when we're talking about investing in something even like that where i thought 15 was too much money 96 is exorbitant right and yeah. used to say that it won't be a quarter of a million dollars in five years i don't know right but my point being is that it there there is room for those kind of investments to grow there really is i it, i i've seen it and i i can't even believe it well, and I think the thing is, is that a guy like Michael Jordan has global, I mean, he's number yeah. one. He's number one For worldwide sure. of all time, as far as collecting goes, as far as endorsement earnings goes, as far as somebody who had, you know, who has just had a, an, an impact on global culture. I mean, there's no one like him. So if you're going to invest in any player, he's got to be the guy. I mean, 100%. Yeah, I don't think you could ever lose money. No, I don't think never so. lose money. Jordan and LeBron so. are no brainers. You'll never lose money. 
Yeah, I agree with I agree with that on LeBron. What about Kobe? What do you think of his investment potential nowadays? You know, there's been an, there's been an inflated. Does it does it hurt or does it help that he passed away? The investment. Um, you know what? So I don't know if it helped the investment. I I felt like a lot of prices were inflated after his death. Um, that might be just me, but I, I mean, Kobe Kobe was an icon too. Uh, you know why he's not mentioned in the same conversation, the goat conversation. I don't know. A guy's got five championships. He, he mimicked Michael Jordan. But my point being is that all these prices, they went up tremendously after his death and then they came back to earth. But what happened there is that his stuff pushed LeBron and Jordan stuff because when his stuff started going up like crazy, so did their stuff. And, you know, but now it's sort of like leveled up. But now a lot of it's going back up. I mean, yeah. I just saw a PSA 10 of a refractor go for 100K. Yeah. You know, that that's too. crazy. I remember I could have bought that card at the national in the, in the 16 national could have bought that card for like 5,000. Yeah. And now it's 100. I know. I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, it all it, everything. Everything went up went once really the middle of March hit and COVID yeah. started taking over. So tough to say exactly why it went up, uh, but uh, you know whether it was um, the the his cards going up when he passed away on January twenty sixth, and then taking yeah. the LeBrons and the Jordans with it, yep. or was it COVID and people being bored and having time and more discretionary income to spend? Is that what took it and and brought Kobe back up with it? Because even his Kobe's tops Chrome rookie, I mean, I bought I bought my copy probably two years ago for I think eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. And and then right before he died, they were doing about twenty two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars US. And then right away, you know, the couple went for eight thousand. Whether they got paid for or not, who knows? They came down to six, down to five. They sell they settled at about three to thirty five hundred dollars, which was still a nice gain from his before he died. But now they're back up to that five six thousand dollar level. Back up with all the other cards that have gone up. So lots of factors going on in a, in what has been the the start to twenty. It's 2020. It's, it's been pretty crazy. All right. Question for you. <clears throat> if you are looking at investing or collecting for that matter, I don't want to, I don't want to um, kind of, you know, isolate or, or alienate the collectors here. Cause I know we have collectors watching. So really this is a question that I would ask everybody, but you're my guest tonight, Carlos. So I'm going to ask you, you've got a chunk of money that you want to put into the hobby. Let, and this, the amount, it doesn't matter the amount doesn't matter. It's different for everybody. So let's just pick a number for, for the sake of, this, of the discussion. $10,000. You can buy one card for $10,000 or you can buy 10 cards for $1,000 each. And just for the viewers, I mean, it could be one card for $100 or 10 cards for $10 each. It doesn't matter. I want to know, Carlos, what are your thoughts? What is the better approach? All other things being equal, how would you go about that potential opportunity? Um, to be honest with you, it would, there is a lot of circumstances It would normally depend on the card, but normally I would probably take the route of 10 cards at a thousand as opposed to one $10,000 card. Um, simply because I feel if I'm going to go that route, that, um, those 10 individual cards will appreciate faster than that one card. I mean, that's solely what I would base it on, right? right. You know, if we're looking at it from a return on investment point of view, that's probably what it is. And sometimes it's easier to sell 10 smaller ones than one big one, right? right. It, yeah. it really is. I mean, you can have some big cards, but 
the the people who you know that can buy them later on becomes smaller you know when you're talking about one big card Right. I think I think part of it is that it's you know there's a much bigger market for people buying the the thousand dollar card than people buying yes. the ten thousand dollar card. Yes, so, yes. And I also think that it's it's easier for the value of cards to grow from one thousand to two thousand than from ten thousand to twenty. Exactly. 000. Same thing. Gonna, yeah. Easy, easier for a card to go from ten dollars to twenty dollars than from a hundred to two hundred. Right. Although if you look at recent uh, yeah. sales data, you might think it's all easy to go up in value. But uh, all right, let's uh, let's go now to um, before we get on to the next topic, which we're going to talk about being comps and just how important comps are in the hobby and setting your asking prices when you come time to sell. We're going to talk about that next. Before we do, we're going to get back to some comments because we've had had a whole bunch the comments are, are are really rolling through here so i'm gonna awesome. find yeah um we're gonna start right here nick says i'm about to make a deal for a lemieux rookie psa 10 nick i'm assuming that's the opichi but uh tops just sold last night for like three thousand dollars us and to me the tops card is an excellent buy right now because yeah. i wrote it down actually i did i studied this a couple nights ago because i i have a psa 10 tops and i don't know where my note is but <clears throat> Basically, it's like 1.8% of all tops Lemieux graded came back at 10. 1.8%. It's like 75 out of 4,000 something. Wow. Opichi, it's like 49 out of whatever the number is, but it was like 1.3%. Right. So whichever one you're buying, you're in you're you're in the top one point something percent of the population, which to me is is a big achievement as an owner of one of those cards that you own one of the top one and a half percent of the whole population. That's pretty cool. I'm still curious from Nick as to which uh, which one he's buying. I'm gonna I'm pretty certain it'll be the Opeachy. It'll be the Opeachy. If it's of Nick, course. it's gonna definitely be Opeachy. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, okay, we're gonna skip by some of these that were back a little bit older. Uh, yeah, Nick. Nick then says, "I can't wait to see someone sell a BGS ten Jordan." Yeah, that'll be <laughs> that'll be fun. And then we, I think there was some talk about losing money. And Andy makes a very astute, smart comment. Says, "Never say you'll never lose money." And that might have even been about Michael Jordan investing because things can happen. If we can, you know, I agree. If we go to martial law, uh, then all of a sudden, all it's worth is how much heat it gives off when it burns. So, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean. Here's a great question from Scott. He says, is Tiger Woods at all close for global recognition or is golf just not that followed compared to say a Jordan? Carlos, take this one because I'm not sure. Uh, well, Woods, uh, you know, I believe he has six. Is it 16 championships or 15? I think it's 15, actually. It's so. Uh, yeah. Um He's probably the closest thing to to Jordan. I mean, his stuff goes for really good money. I, but to be honest with you, I mean, if he's chasing Jack Nicholas's record of 18 majors, because that's how I guess they define greatness in golf. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, number one in PGA wins. Uh, I would, I, I think he's a great buy. To be honest with you, uh, whether or not he breaks Jack Jack Nicholas's record is going to be really hard with all the young players that he's got to face. I mean, he's not the Tiger of 2000 or 1999 where he was winning everything, right? And I, I was around since he came into since he came into you know played start pro, started professionally. So I, I honestly, it's I think Tiger or golf in general is undervalued. 
but most people want, you know, Tiger and then they want Jack and Arnold Palmer and, right. you know, all these young guys too, you know, they, right. they, they all want that Rory McIlroy, all those guys. Right. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, to the question, I, I think that, um, that Michael Jordan is clearly the greatest of all time. I mean, yeah. people argue LeBron, but they just aren't thinking clearly throughout the whole argument. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. my opinion. Um, but Tiger Woods is not the greatest of all time, but he no. is he is probably the greatest of our time. Yes. Right? And that that for that reason, I think he's a he's a worthy holding or collectible. Uh, if you're, you know, whichever direction you're taking. But I don't think, I personally don't think that he's close to global recognition as Michael Jordan. I mean, Jordan's just, he's worldwide. Jordan's worldwide. Yeah. And and anybody can shoot hoops, right? All you need, like any kid in any country, not any, you know, kids in all countries can create their own hoop and take a ball or whatever and throw it into that hoop. Not everybody can uh, all of a sudden find you know, a hundred, hundred acres of, uh, of land to have a golf course and start playing and golf. And buy expensive golf clubs too. And buy the There's club. a lot of expense to golf. Right. As soon as you're doing that, you're basically playing hockey anyway, right? Yes, you're playing exactly. Hockey. Uh, anyway, so um, Ziggy has another really good question here, Carlos. We're going to bring this one up. He says, I agree LeBron is solid, but what are your thoughts on people buying current and recent year LeBron cards for so much money, looking at mosaic stained glass that no number... So no numbering, $600 plus. I mean, that's a great question. Back in the day, and you'll remember this clearly, Carlos, in the 80s especially, second-year cards were important cards for people to have. Mm -hmm. Second-year Gretzky, second-year Messier, and of course in the other sports as well. What do you think about the fact that right now, current-year cards of a player whose rookie card was 17 years ago are selling for some serious money? Like, is that, it's, is that, it's the, mind boggling. It's, 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 sustainable? it's, it really is. I don't know if it's sustainable. LeBron stuff, uh, like inserts or, or very high end, low numbered parallel cards go for some ridiculous money. And it's the fact of the matter. He's LeBron. I mean, you know, I, I can't answer the question. Me personally, if I'm going to buy, spend $600, it's going to be on a high-end rookie card. It's not going to be on a LeBron James insert. That's yeah. me personally, because I feel like on longer term, uh, that rookie will sustain its value as opposed to an insert. I mean, I could, I'm, yeah. I could be wrong, but my, you know, that's just the way I feel personally. Right. So my, my reply to that is I think it depends what rookie you're buying instead of that LeBron. Right. If you're buying a guy just on a hope and a prayer and he doesn't make it, that $600 card is worth $50 down the road. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the $600 LeBron card might be worth, say, $300 or $3,000. Yeah. It's tough to say. So I think it just depends what you're buying instead of it. Um, okay, cool. Qu great question. Um, Billy wants to know any recommendations for picking specific players in the hockey market for investing who has the most upside. Now, Billy, I'll, I'll let you know in preparation for this, we didn't really think too much about hockey. We were more focusing on basketball almost relative to hockey, but you asked the question. It's a fun question. Carlos, do you have any comments? I mean, I know you're not as big into hockey cards as you are basketball, but you're still a hockey fan. Uh, are we talking about like current rookies or let's are we talking about guy. any player rookies? Let's go with, um, let's go. Hmm. That's a good question. Right. Uh, like, I mean, we can talk player. about the obvious ones versus, you know, the guys that were just drafted last year. Let's talk about guys. Let's just pick a couple guys maybe who were, who came in the league in the last five years, you know, without the, without 
Anyone and leave talk- Crosby, Ovechkin, and McDavid yeah. out of the conversation. Yeah, right? I was going to even say Matthews, but you could talk yeah. about Matthews, Marner. Anybody yeah. in the last couple of years? Who are your favorites to to invest in right now? Um, definitely forwards. I mean, I definitely wouldn't invest in defensemen. So no. you know, I mean, everybody likes uh, Quinn Hughes. I believe, yeah. right? Hughes. Good, good guy. Don't get me wrong, but you know, could his market ever be above Eric Carlson's? I don't think so. Yeah. I it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, I definitely <laughs> like the Matthews, the Marners, uh, you know, in terms of investment. If we're talking like the last five years, David Pasternak is a yeah. fantastic one in my mind. Right. Yeah. Uh, to invest in. His prices are high. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, deservedly so. Diver- yeah, exactly. Um, you know, um, I can't really think of anybody in the 2019 draft yeah. that I would actually put money into. Uh, yeah, it's a very poor guys, draft. Some guys that I like that are younger. I like Sebastian Ajo. I mean, he doesn't yes. play in a great market, but I like the player. Yeah, I like I like Matthew Kachuk in Calgary. I know yeah, a lot Matthew of Matthew Kachuk's good. I like I like, like him. him. But he, if we're looking he, at a guy that's going to score fifty, if we're looking at fifty goal scorers, then you know the guys that are close there are basically Pasternak and Matthews. Yeah. Right. True. I mean, we're it's taking true. out McDavid for points. I mean, the dry, sorry, I should put dry in that conversation too. What right? about, you know, and, and for any, for any of the basketball guys watching, I mean, that's kind of what you want to look for are the 50 goal scores. And there's not many of them anymore. There used to be a lot more back in the eighties. There's not nearly as many 50 goal scores now as there used to be, but that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Are the, the young guys that are scoring the most goals and right now, that's Pasternak in Boston, yep. and Austin Matthews in Toronto, both on original six teams with with, with huge following. So you yep. can't go wrong in terms of what cities they're playing for, and they're they're both great players, and they're young, and they've got a, they both have a lot of upside moving forward. Back to the um, back to the golf comment. Ziggy makes a comment to Scott here, basically saying, you know, in my opinion, golf is an elitist sport. It will never get the global support of the masses. Only global rich watch golf. Well, I can't speak to <laughs> only global rich watching it. I think probably some more people do too, but I think it is somewhat of an elitist sport. It's expensive to get into. So yes, I don't, expensive. I also agree it will not do uh, what, what basketball can do. Nick no. says I would do the 10 cards. So Nick would do the $10,000 cards versus the yes. $10,000 card. So would, um, where did that go? Sorry, guys. Uh, lots. Oh, boy. We got tons of comments. So would Paul. So would Paul. And yep. uh, an anonymous user says, Carlos was my teacher. Um, <laughs> Nick says, it's like it's like buying 10 Vlads at not, Vlad 9.5s when they were 750 or lower. Yep. Lots of opportunity. If we could only go back in time and, uh, and buy cards. We only right? have to go back to last year's national. That's <laughs> and it. Just, and just buy LeBron. That's and it. Giannis and Luca. Exactly. And Brady. <laughs> Here's a question from Barry. I like this one. Carl, I, he grew up a huge Lakers fan. Would you rather put your money in Wilt or or split it between Kareem and Magic? I would probably put it in Wilt if it's if it's high grade like vintage. Um, I would tend to think that uh, his stuff, especially in high grade, would be far more valuable and and a better return if you want to call it that than both magic and cream together like unfortunately magic's not on his own card he's on the card with bird but you know it's an iconic card but mm-hmm. you know you can readily get those cards you can't readily get nice will chamberlain rookies that's true it's okay uh, it's it's yeah. a very different story people will pay much more 
for you know a half decent Will Chamberlain rookie than they will Magic and Bird rookies. Or That's even right. Kareem. Kareem doesn't even get the respect, and the guy's got the best uh, resume there is in basketball, in my yeah. mind. I think One at every level. It, Wilt is definitely on the Mount Rushmore of basketball cards. Yes. And- I wonder if one of the problems with the Kareem rookie, which is one of those tall boys, I wonder if one, is that it's got his old name, Lou Alcindor. Yeah, Lou Alcindor. It. It's a it's it is Lou Alcindor. I wonder if that it. hurts. I wonder if that hurts the card on the on the on the market because it doesn't have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as his name. That's just a yeah. A like who knows? But it's it's hard to say. But I mean, even his card is it's not an easy card to find in high grade. But if you're asking me, Wilt would hundred percent Wilt. Yeah, I think no for me, I think for me too, especially for talking rookie cards. Yeah, Super Striker says he's uh, he's got me on soccer. Okay, good. So I've got my official advisor for soccer cards. I, I need one. So thank you, Super Striker. Uh, <clears throat> appreciate that uh, that that offer of your service. Soccer is life for sure. Uh, Andy just bought an Arnold Palmer rookie, another decent sport to buy his boxing, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, like. Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, they've got some valuable cards. Joe Lewis, uh, they've got some, they've got some great cards out there for sure. Let's see what Karn says. Karn, Karn knows about high-end cards. Oh, he does. He says, I've done a lot of Tiger SPs out of 900, out of 100, et cetera. It's very niche. So many guys don't give it the time of day in trade talks, cash deals, but those that do love it to the moon. I mean, hey, that's fair comment, right? right? Karn's Very right. fair comment. Thanks for that, Karn. Appreciate the insight, especially from someone who's dealing in those. I mean, I, I think I saw just yesterday he had a couple of uh, Tigers, the gold SPA out of 100. He had like two of them, I think. He's so, got some great cards. Karn is very knowledgeable. I respect his opinion. Yeah, and Karn was the guest on this show. I think it was episode seven uh, about three or four Wednesdays ago. So anyone who wants to watch another awesome episode, if I may say so myself, please go check that one out. We talked about um, the state of the hobby, and we also talked about grading and grading by computer because he commissioned a study. We're going to talk about grading later on in this show. Um, Jason says Tiger Woods is only really big in North America, Europe, and South Africa. So, I mean, that would explain partially why he's not going to get the global appeal that a Michael Jordan does. Um, Barry wants to know who's the greatest golfer ever. The Golden Bear, Jack Nicklaus, Byron Nelson, Palmer. I mean, I'm certainly not in a position to say if I had to guess based on seeing highlights over the past 40 years, I would go with Jack Nicklaus, but I don't know. I can't speak to Jack Palmer or Byron Nelson. They're they're before my time. How about you, Carlos? It would be Jack Nicklaus. It definitely would be. I mean, most people do consider him the GOAT. I mean, 18 championships. I mean, even Woods is going to have, at his age, it's going to be hard to beat that. I, I don't see how he does it, but most people still consider Jack Nicholas the GOAT. Fair. So that's as fair as I can I, yeah. I can put it. That's who, that's who comes to mind at first instinct for me too. Peter says, back to the hockey talk, who you could invest in in hockey, to, uh, to Billy's question, Matthew Barzal, who plays for the New York Islanders, who is another great young player, yep. who I think has a ton of upside still. So yeah, he does. That's definitely one. Uh, Billy says, I'm buying uh, Gretzky on-card autographs in anticipation of the possible money flowing in. I mean, that is a strategy that I think is a fair strategy to take. I mean there's a lot of Gretzky autographs out there. There a are a lot of Gretzky autographs. Don't, don't it's, kid yourself. He it's not like a lot. It's not like Jordan and LeBron no. in terms of licensed and that there's lots, but he is by far the most popular player. So yes. uh, could definitely work out. Could definitely work out for you. I hope it does, but time will tell. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
<laughs> Adam here, Adam has a few comments here. He says the 10 times card for a thousand also hedges your investment in case one of them totally tanks. So he's talking about diversifying yeah. your holdings. Hedging is, is best. Hedging is, is very important, but di and diversification, which, which is almost the same thing to an extent, mm -hmm. really just means spread your risk across various investments so that if one goes down, hopefully right. one goes up. Yes. At the end of the day, though, you don't want five to go up, five to go down, and you break even. There's yeah. more, maybe more of a rush to actually buying one and yeah. hoping for the best, you know? Fingers crossed that that one does something. He goes on to say, one $10,000 is a lot of risk to carry, and as you both mentioned, it seriously limits your options to resell. Yes, it does. I think for sure. Uh, Jay says, 10 cards for investors, one big card for the collector. I mean, that's an interesting uh, angle. I got to think about that one some more, but I do love, I love that kind of thinking outside the box thing. So thanks a lot for that comment. That's going to get the mind moving a little bit. Uh, Charles wants to know, Carlos, what do you think of, about investing in pre-war hockey cards? Oh boy. I haven't invest. I'll be honest with you. I haven't invested too much in pre-war. Uh, I know a lot of people that do, or a lot of people that buy and sell it. And, you know, I mean, there, I personally, I think it's probably a good investment as, as long as, you know, as it's mid to high grade. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? You know, it, that's, that's where I would, uh, that's where I would invest as long as it's mid to high grade and not low grade. I think they're, I think it's a really good investment personally. Yeah. And I think it has to be a long-term investment. This yes. is something you're going to flip in six months or two years. And I can speak from experience because I have an extensive hockey, you know, pre-war hockey hall of fame rookie collection and i know cards i was buying in 2006 2007 like vezina rookies and eddie shore rookies they've gone up in value but not to the extent as a gretzky rookie or a Sidney crosby rookie has i would have been better off buying those in 2007 than i was a george vezina or an eddie shore or even mm -hmm. a Lorenz rookie so i think it just uh i, th I think you're, you're in for, it, it's a blue chip long-term hold with yeah. steady growth and less volatility but a lot less opportunity as well, is my opinion on it. Andy says that he doubts that the that having Lou Alcindor on the card hurts. I hope you're right. I think you're right because it's still the same guy. It's the same player. Yeah, it's the same guy. Yeah, and most people know. That was just a thought I had. And I was just thinking out loud, but I, I, I agree. I, I doubt it hurts it as well. Um, <clears throat> should we invest in wrestling cards? I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> I don't I'm, know that much about wrestling. <laughs> me neither, man. Me right? neither. I mean, Hulk Hogan, maybe. I'm not sure, right? I mean, you that's know? the guy I remember from when I was a kid. To Same me, here. To me, wrestling is not sport. In my own yeah. my personal, it's scripted, it's it's planned, it's not real. It's own, All it is is entertainment. There's no sport to it. Sure, these guys are athletic and they're in shape and they work out and they're big and muscular and they can, they can throw chairs at each other and they can lift each other over their head and body slam them. But I mean, they're practicing that with that same guy all week until the yeah. It's not really a sport to me. Scripted. I think, yeah, I mean, to me, poker is more of a sport. But anyway, that's just me. I don't want to offend anybody with that. I'm not saying not to invest in it because culture sells. Right. To me, it's almost like a non-sport, like an entertainment card. It's almost like a James Bond card or a Star Wars card more than it is a baseball or a basketball or football or hockey card. So, but I, I love the question though. Um, Nick says I would only invest in old Gretzky autos, maybe when they were rarer. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. 
Paul says, I've noticed a change in then from 10 to 15 years ago to the new ones. I think he's talking about the autographs. And Jay says, Gary V said so. I think he's talking about investing in, in, in wrestling cards. Well, if Gary V said so, then there's probably something to it because what he says, a lot of people hear. Yeah. And a lot of people really pay attention and, and, and move forward and execute on what he thinks. So now might be the time. Andy, no, I do not want to sell my Morens. It is one of my <laughs> possessions. What does Chris say? Hi, Chris. Haven't seen you yet tonight. Thanks for joining. There are only a few key wrestling cards, Flair, Rookie, and Hogan. Outside that, not many are worth a ton. Good to know. I mean, I, I couldn't have told you that myself. I, 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 I had a figure figured maybe Hulk Hogan for sure. I didn't know about Ric Flair though. Yeah. And then Ziggy completely agrees with what I just said. Wrestling is like Pokemon and Star Wars cards. There's a market, but Glenn then goes on to say, I don't care how much tennis cards are. I love the sport is all that matters. We haven't talked about tennis cards. And to me, there's opportunity there because there are some iconic names in tennis. Yeah. Have you ever dabbled in tennis cards? I have never dabbled in tennis cards. No. Okay. Chris then corrects me, not scripted, predetermined outcomes, and they don't practice all week either. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's just my perception and perception is my reality. So maybe they do, but good to know. Thank you for opening me up to that. Um, Charles says, my feeling on the Kareem rookie is still highly investable due to low print runs, just a longer term investment with all vintage, I would say. And uh, Ziggy Entertainment Card's value isn't impacted by great acting like sports are impacted by great play. Interesting comment. Interesting comment. Okay, the comments are coming. Let's move on to the next topic we want to capture here, Carlos, which is comps. Yeah. And how important comps are in daily transactions in this hobby because they're all people talk about comps. What's the last comp? Well, I'll pay you this. The last comp is that or you know, and what's the latest comp? What, you know, when it comes to setting prices for cards or offering prices, how important are comps and how do they really impact the hobby? So comps affect and impact the hobby greatly. I I think it, it produces a median between the buyer and the seller. I mean, in most cases, people want to pay what the last comp is, but here's, here, here's the caveat to that. You can't really always pay the last comp because someone's always going to be willing to pay more. How do cards get more valuable? Well, if cards would never get more valuable if we all wanted to pay the last comp and we were always forced to pay the last comp, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, look, a Gretzky rookie in 1980 was a dollar. Now, you know, a PSA 10 is a half a million dollars. So at some point during the last 40 years, people were just willing to pay more. Same with a Jordan rookie, same with anything else. I mean, I think it's really there for fairness. I mean, you know, you want to pay fair. Have I paid less than comps? Yes. Have I paid more than comps? Absolutely. If I think that something is worth more than what it's currently going for, or I see the trend, it's trending up, I'll pay, I'll pay full comp. I may even pay more, right? Yeah. You know, it depends on how much you want the card to, right? You know, that's that's really what it comes down to. I think I, I paid comp, I've paid full comps plus many times. Yeah, I think it depends on how much you want the card and yeah. how many other people want the card at least that much or more because you know, the the seller, the really the question to me is what's the seller's stance and what are they willing to let the card go for because 
you know, you can go to a show and offer somebody the last comp or what a lot of people do is they offer the last comp minus 10 or 13%. Yeah. Why should the seller get those eBay fees without eBay in play? Yeah. Right. In my opinion, like you said, very smartly, if we only always paid the last comp, cards would never move around it. They would never go up and they would never go down and the hobby would be boring as hell. There would yeah. just be no, it wouldn't be as much fun. Well, buying and selling and transacting would not be very much fun because no. there's no movement, right? There's no, there's no speculating. There's no excitement when your card goes up in value, when you see that next sale. The other thing is that in order for a new comp to be set, in my opinion, it has to be set at public auction where everyone 100%. can see it because that way you can always draw on it from before. And when yes. a card sells at public auction, a lot of people missed out on that card and they still want it. So they're going to go for it again next time. Right. Next time, there are maybe more people that want that card. So you, the prices do, and we've seen it so much lately, they go up and up. And when the cycle turns, it'll go in the other direction. All of a sudden, the sellers might be willing to take less than comps because that's the way the market is trending. So I think when we're talking about comps and how important they are, I believe they're more important when the markets are trending upwards than when they're trending downwards because, yeah. I mean, they just it just is. And also, you know, like when you're following comps, you have to always be critical of what you're looking at as well. And I mean, people, there's a lot of talk right now in the hobby also about, you know, being scrutinizing the comps. House of Jordans did a, a clip from one of their shows recently about just how important it is to really scrutinize completed eBay listings. And they make a, Chris in the episode makes a great comedy says, it would be great if eBay would add something to their completed listings reports that basically said whether or not that card got paid for. Because mm -hmm. a lot of cards, it's easy to manipulate comps. So comps, it is. right? You can even go opposite. I can list a card for sale that's always selling for $500, list it for 100 on a buy it now and tell my buddy to go buy it. Mm -hmm. not telling anyone to do this. I would never do it myself, but you could do that. And then you could start to maybe see the prices go down, buy a bunch and then run it back up. Like there's all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. You know, where there's money, there's fraud, there's greed, there's crime, there, there's just underhandedness. So um, I think comps are important, but if you're all, if you're, if you are, you know, it's like referring to Beckett all the time. If you come to my booth at a card show and you're going to tell me what Beckett lists the card for, I'm going to tell you to, um, have you heard of the internet? No, do you, do you have Google? And then, or, you know, I've heard of eBay. And then I'm also, mm -hmm. gonna, but if you come and you say to me, you know, the last comp was $200, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to say one of two things. One is that's great. You should have bought that card. Yeah, I've done that. Right. Too. And if you would have, you would have had to bid more to get it. So the last comp isn't exactly an accurate reflection of what you're willing to pay. And, uh, and, and the other thing is that, you know, um, like, we as owners of our cards, we can set whatever price we want. If we think the card is going to go up, yep. I can say, listen, I'm going to, I have this card price. I know it's not in line with comps today, but it's in line with where I think the comps are going to be a year from now. Yep. And I'm happy to hold the card until then. So if you want to buy it from me today, you're going to have to pay next year's prices. Now, I don't do that all the time, but there's some cards that I'm just not willing to let go of. So if you yeah, want them, me too. you got to pay what I consider to be next year's prices, not today's prices. So I think we have to we have to be aware of comps and consider the true comps, but not run our lives and our purchase decisions based on them. Does so that make sense to you? It makes sense. There is one thing to add, though. 
when people come to me with comps, now if they're buying a very expensive card, say they're buying it off a PWCC auction or a, or a Probstein auction, let's just use those two auction houses, okay? <clears throat> what you're paying or what the comp is, is not the final price, the end price that is paid to your door, okay? You know, on a, on a $1,000 card, you're going to pay global shipping, assuming a U.S. seller is selling, it's, you know, I mean, well, it's Probstein, so they'll, they'll mail it to you. But what they won't do is under-declare that card, okay? Trust yeah. me, I know this. Yeah. And, you know, you're on a $1,000 card, you're going to get, you know, it's going to get flagged at Canada Customs, and it's going to be converted, and you're going to pay HST. So you're going to pay whatever the crazy shipping is, plus the HST, right? So it's not the final price. So that $500 comp you're seeing is costing you probably 20% more. That's for Canadian. That's for the yeah. Canadian buyers buying out of the U.S. But I mean, we are such a small market overall. Yeah. If we don't consider, if we just consider, you know, U.S. to U.S., where most yeah, U.S. to U.S. is different. Yeah. Happen. But you're right. There is still shipping, and and there's also risk that you don't receive the card. The seller has the risk the card gets lost or stolen. And if you yeah. just insure uh, the way insurance works, you know, you oh, kind of yeah. insure yourself against it if you want, pay insurance on it. So there's a lot of other factors. But yeah, comps are, are um, I think they're important, but they're not the end all be all when it comes to buying cards. Okay, let's go to some more comments now. Um, Billy has the question, do you buy and hold sealed product from any sport for the purposes of investment? Is it, it, it is impossible for me to leave any boxes unopened in my house? The answer to that question is yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, me I do. I invest in uh, cases of different uh, product. Um, it's hard. Um, it's hard to let it, you know, it's sitting there in front of you and you're like, it's calling your name to open it up. It's hard. It, you, you know, know you, ha you have to be, uh, you have to have uh, willpower. You sure do. You have to have discipline. I mean, I know a guy. Lots locally. of discipline. I know. I, I know a guy locally who's got uh, multiple cases of every year of the cup unopened going back to 05. Yeah. And he just, he doesn't even care. He doesn't want to open them. And myself, I collected unopened packs of Opeachy hockey back 1970 through 1989. Oh, I've seen them. They're wonderful. Yeah. And they're, they're beautiful. They're slabbed by yeah. PSA. They look great. I have a pack of Jordan Fleer from a PSA. It's an eight or a nine that I bought way back. I bought it probably in 2006. Yeah. Uh, you know, so in terms of investment, I mean, I got lucky. I bought those a long time yeah. ago because to me, it's nostalgia. It reminds me of opening those packs as a kid. Yes. So I'm all for investing in vintage unopened product. I cannot speak as much to modern because I just mm -hmm. haven't, it's not been something I've been interested in. Modern, I think I'd prefer to open. Yeah. But the vintage, I like having those packs because those packs were artwork. This year's cases, you get a brown cardboard box. There's nothing displayable about that. No. Right? So... <clears throat> Okay, um, Barry says, Jordan, LeBron, and who is your number three? He's got Kobe. He's got Kobe. How about you? Yeah, I would say Kobe. Me too. I would say Kobe. To be honest with you, I, I, I've always said this. I don't know why he's not in the conversation of the GOAT. I mean, in all honesty, he should be right there. But, you know, Kobe would definitely be a number, number three on my list, 100%. Yeah. As a player and even, you know, buying his stuff, right? Same here. Did you hear what Vince Carter was just quoted as saying the other day that in his mind, it's Jordan is like one and Kobe is like one. Yeah. Like he's just a hair under Jordan. I agree. And then it's, then it's LeBron and some others from there. So, and this guy played against all three of them. He's one of the yeah. only people that played, if not the only person that played against all three. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody knows 
I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Vince Carter, you know, and uh, I agree. Right. But Kobe's not playing anymore. He's unfortunately deceased and LeBron is still out there making headlines now and uh, is probably a better investment, especially because he's still playing and has room. I um, have, I, I have some comments on that one. Okay. I'll take this comment off. We'll come back to it. What are your comments on that? So when people ask me specifically about LeBron, I'm going to say this all the time because I get this question all the time. LeBron stuff too expensive. It can't go anymore. You know, it's, it's as high as it's ever been. That's probably right. But LeBron is two years away from owning the scoring record, from taking it from Kareem. He, I'm sure he'll win a championship or he'll strike at one within the next three years, maybe even this year. And um, for those two reasons, I honestly believe that uh, LeBron stuff is still undervalued. It's still cheap, believe it or not. I mean, as much as the cards are right now, think about someone coming along in hockey that's going to break Wayne Gretzky's all-time scoring record. It's unfathomable when you think about it, right? Well, the closest thing would be Ovechkin uh, encroaching. The, the but that's record. breaking the goal-scoring record, right? And, and yeah. Ovechkin's cards have gone crazy since oh, yeah. that became a real topic of conversation. And he's, realistically, the math shows he's within striking distance within five, six years of doing that. Yeah. But the all-time scoring record of Gretzky? Never. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to be broken. But no. if it were, that player would be worth, like, crazy money. Yeah. On a hot... On the hockey scale. On the hockey. Yeah. On the hockey scale. Crazy. Okay. Ziggy says, I hope you guys discuss how easy it how easy it is to set a comp and mislead people. In my opinion, you need three or more comps in a recent time frame, not the last comp. I mean, we did talk about that yes. specifically. And I would say that when you say Ziggy, you need three or more comps in a recent time frame, they need to be different sellers, different buyers, and not a lot of shilling going on in there as well. You need honest good comps not not because it's easy to put three fake comps out there too it can it can be yeah. done so um charles says comps are comps are too jumpy people tend to only use the highest comp it's all about the average sale comp that's an interesting yeah. i mean over what that's fair time that's fair you gotta consider yeah you gotta consider the timeline there too right yeah <clears throat> our ability ziggy says our ability to check and validate a comp with ebay is the biggest reason why the hobby is alive today years ago you could have a great card but there was no market. I mean, transparency and vision vision into the, uh, the market is very important. And I mean, we have to urge eBay to start really showing us the best offers accepted without having to play games to get those answers. Let us know what cards are being are sold for. And believe it or not, trading cards are the biggest category on all of eBay. So I think we as a hobby do have some clout and maybe some influence there. And um, I might try and get someone from eBay to come on the show and we can talk about these things and see what they're, what they're thinking of. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get anybody, but I, I might, I might try to do that. That could be, that could be an interesting discussion and something I think that we need. Right. Uh, Billy says, it's kind of surprising that eBay hasn't monetized their complete sales data. ComC does it. PWCC does it. Maybe they're thinking about it. Who knows? Who knows? Jason says, I hate being offered the last comp price from eBay, especially if it's a, it's, a one-off crappy auction. Yeah. I mean, right. Like yeah, that's unfair. An auction that ended at uh, five in the morning. Yeah. It's an, North, it's right? unfair to do that. And what happens if you're, you know, 
you've got a card number to two or three or something, right? How do you realistically get comps on something like that when, okay, so the first one finished for 500 bucks, you know, does that mean number two of three or number three of three is going to be the same? You know, you can't, yeah, it could be more, it could be less. There's less of it, right? The supply has gone down by a third or half. Exactly. So there's no way of comping a card like that. It's realistically, you can say, oh, the last one finished for five. What, you know, some people are going to be like, I don't care what the last one finished for. It's a number to three card. Exactly. Exactly. Paul says sports card investor, which is another YouTube channel and a Facebook group. And the guy's got a ton of videos, really interesting guy. He says he had an, he had an episode mentioned the rise of shill bidders in auctions. He defined them as potentially on eBay as winning bids with a low user rating and then seeing the card up again in a few days. I mean, that's a telltale sign, right? Yes, that's a hundred percent telltale sign. Pretty easy to, it's pretty easy to spot fake comps or less, less reliable comps too, right? Because on the same, you know, at the same token, you could have a brand new guy in the hobby who's got millions of bucks in the bank and he decides I'm going to go buy some cards and doesn't even care about comps and hit some buy it nows for mm-hmm. double the true value because he doesn't care. He doesn't care. All of a sudden there's a, you know, all five, the time. right. All of a sudden a $5,000 card is now a $10,000 card. Cause one yep. guy just got drunk and bought a card on, on eBay. Like it, it could easily, I'm sure it happens. Right. It does a lot actually. Exactly. Uh, Jay-Z welcome to the show. My man always found it hard to not bust old wax. I mean, busting anything is fun for sure. For sure. Uh, vintage cars and vintage vintage cards and vintage cars. That's the uh, Ferrari comment you made, uh, Carlos. <laughs> Here, Amit. Hey, buddy. How are you? How are you evaluating some? How are you evaluating something as cheap undervalued? What is the benchmark? Um, I don't understand the question, Amit. Do you, Carlos? Is he asking for like bargains in basketball? I'm not sure. I'm not. Like, we'll, that, uh, we'll, we'll let him clarify. Yeah. He can clarify that. Welcome to the audience. I will help you get an eBay contact for your show. Thank you so much, Steve. And everybody, while Steve is here, Steve is the owner of the Toronto Expo. And he just today, they press released the virtual expo, June 19th and 20th. I have it on the ticker below there at uh, sportcardexpo.com, sportcardexpo.com. Check it out. I've sat in on two of the uh, information sessions there in the actual platform. And this thing is going to be cool, guys. It's not a normal expo. It's not a normal card show, but this thing is going to be fun. And it's the first one. So, you know, I say to everybody that, that will listen, let's support this show Let's make it something for the hobby because it will likely not be a one-time thing. I mean, even if card shows start up again, what's to stop Expo from having a more frequent show uh, on weekends that there's not a a show where we're there in person. So I'm personally planning to support the show, planning to to take part as a vendor. And I'm also planning to be patient with it and let it work through the kinks that will ultimately happen. It's the first time. Let's support this thing. Let's not be critical of it and throw negativity at it. Like so many people like to throw at everything. Let's be positive about this, guys. And thanks, Steve, for even trying to to provide something to all of us during these times of social distancing and not being able to get out to real card shows. I, I, I give you kudos for trying it, Steve, making the investment you are making in it. And um, everybody, I think, you know, as far as the show goes, I saw some posts today about, you know, admission or whatever. Steve's get the first thousand people that register at the site get free admission. And after that, it's five dollars. And I gotta say, people, 
you know, if you're not willing to pay $5 to help Steve recover the investment he's making and the time he's putting into this for all of us, and it is a business. I mean, I don't work for free. Carlos doesn't work for free. Why should Steve work for free? And Steve whoever, should not work for free. People that comment on there and say, why would you charge admission to a virtual show? Well, because he's putting his, he's, he's working his ass off to do this thing. And he's, yeah. putting, he's putting a lot of, he's, he's putting up some money to do it. So throw five bucks at it, guys. It's nothing. If you can't afford five bucks for, for this to help grow the hobby, I don't know if you should be in the hobby. And that's that's my honest opinion. So anyway, let's get back. Thank you, Steve, for coming by. I wish you the best with the show. I plan to support it. For and, sure. Um, plan to have fun with it. That Number one, have fun with it, okay? So guys, check it out. There's the there's the web address right there coming across the ticker. I'm not very good at doing this whole thing that some, e some YouTube pros are great at. But okay, <clears throat> let's move along. Billy, speaking of comps, do serious dealers still use Beckett price guides anymore? The 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 quick answer is no. They they, they no. the guys that use Beckett price guides are either card shop owners or um, the older school. The yeah, older school. that's it. And they're and mostly because they're just not as technically savvy. They're, yeah, exactly. Some of us are. It's not not no no knock against them. They just they really don't know the other ways. Is 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 my they live in the past card shows. Right. Okay. More comments here, but uh, oh, let's see. There's a bit more just because um, Amit, here's Amit. He says, You mentioned that LeBron is undervalued. What are you, oh, good question, Amit. What are you basing that on, Carlos? That, that what makes you think LeBron might be undervalued? He's still, he's still playing. Right. He's and still he's playing. playing. He's still adding to his legacy. You know, Fair. I mean, he puts another two championships up there. Plus owning the scoring records and owning all the other records statistically. I mean, his statistics, not to say that he's better than Jordan, but his stats will be better than Jordan. And, you know, I mean, that's still to come. He, he's still playing at the end of the day. That's why I'm, that's why I feel he's still undervalued. He's got so much more room to go. I you mean, know, you know what, Carlos, let me jump in quickly. In yeah. Terms of, because I, I agree. And the reason why I think he's got so much more room to grow is because all the people like of yours and my vintage people in their thirties, forties, fifties, we grew up on Michael Jordan. Yeah. And we have money now to spend on Michael Jordan, LeBron James, the the, the people that are grew up on LeBron James grew up in the late two thousands and, yeah. and the decade that just passed. They don't have as much disposable income or income at all to spend on the guy that they remember playing. Who's current, who's the current goat, if you will. So yeah. Down the road, I think we're going to see a lot more potential. Can you get yourself more in the center of the screen there, Carlos? I think we're going to see, I think LeBron is going to have a lot more, a lot of, I think, I agree. He's got room to grow is my, uh, is my uh, response to that as well, Amit. I, I, because he is still playing. He plays for the Lakers and he could easily win one or two championships. Uh, Jay-Z says, phrase of the week, manufactured scarcity. I mean, <clears throat> You know, that comes down to that card out of two, the card out of three. Joe Orlando and his editorial in the April edition of the SMR. And I just yeah. received the uh, the May edition uh, today, actually, with LeBron on the cover. But in the April edition, which I got last week, I guess they're finally catching up on their shipping. He talks about manufactured scarcity and how he's starting to believe in it more, uh, where he was long time a traditionalist in terms of the, the true scarcity, you know, and things being rare because mothers threw out kids' cards. So... Um, as far as discussing it, Jay-Z, 
I think that manufactured scarcity is a, leg a legitimate type of scarcity. And when you're talking about cards that are numbered to like five, four, three, two, and one, like the, like the logo man, the shields, that kind of stuff, people want those cards. Just look at the card that sold for $900,000 a couple mm -hmm. months ago, the dual uh, logo man, the LeBron Jordan. That's manufactured scarcity one of one. And it has, it, at the time, had the record for the most expensive modern day card, which was only beat last week or a couple days ago by the Mike Trout. So uh, yeah, that was about a, a couple months ago, but yeah, it was huge. Huge, for sure, for sure. Having a bit of trouble hearing you, Carlos, if you can just move something around there a little bit, if you can. Okay. Um, uh, Steve sorry, says- I had to plug my, uh, my charger. It's okay. Off. Steve says almost 400 people signed up to to attend from 6 p.m. for the expo. Awesome. 400 people coming through to, to visit the vendors. I'm happy to see that. Jay-Z is all signed up. Out of boy, Jay-Z. Uh, Steve, you're welcome. Hey, man, you don't have to thank me. I'm- you know, I'm happy to support you, but I'm even more happy to support the hobby. So uh, please, no, no need to thank me. Great comments. Rule number one, have fun. Let's have fun with that virtual expo, guys. Let's, yep. let's be open-minded with what we're going to see because it's not going to be perfect. And it's not going to be super, super slick the way, you know, but I'm not saying it's not going to be good. It's just not going to be what you might have in mind because we're not physically walking into a room and looking at cards. So we have to be open-minded and just help this thing and be constructive with it. So, okay, <clears throat> let's, uh, okay, there's some more comments. We're gonna skip a bunch now and we're gonna go on to the next topic, Carlos, which does actually tie into what we were just talking about, which was, you mentioned it to me before, but I'll let you, I'll let you talk it through. Three things that you think are reasons why the basketball hobby can go up in value or three spikes you see coming. What What is that all about? So the three spikes I see coming, first of all, basketball has been a, a huge tangent. All right. That's number one. We've been starved because obviously there was so much going on this year and COVID took it away. Um, but the, the official announcement of basketball, the NBA is back. That's all Commissioner Silver has to say. You're going to see a spike in all the different players. That's, num that's the first one. When the players actually step onto the court and actually play, and people are seeing them play, seeing them do their thing before, you know, COVID, uh, that's going to be the second one. The third one will be when playoffs actually start and who's ever vying for that title. You know, if it's Giannis and LeBron at the end, their stuff is going to be, like, if you think LeBron stuff's heavy now, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be... 50% more at that right. point. Maybe even more if he wins the title. Right? In LA. In LA. Right. Yeah. Which yeah, is the so number one market. It really is. So, I mean, listen, I could be wrong, but I've, I've been following the basketball market for years. And, and usually when these types of trends come up, you'll, you'll see. Like a lot of those players that people are chasing or they want uh, will become inherently more valuable, you know, based on, you know, uh, you're going to see an injection, basically. You know, people are starved for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So <clears throat> the last topic we have, we, we've talked about kind of your history. We've talked about the basketball market. We've talked about investing. I think we've covered that quite extensively tonight. So thanks for the discussion, Carlos. I certainly enjoyed that. And I think it was a lot, lot of really interesting, um, insightful comments there. So last topic, grading. 
grading mm. of cards and the various players that are in the game. So we've got the big, the big two, the two big ones being PSA and Beckett Grading Services. And then we've got SGC, which is kind of the third big uh, company out of the US. Yeah. And in Canada, we have KSA and MNT. Yes. Let's talk a bit about grading. What do you, in, uh, in the context of long-term values of your holdings, because any of these companies can put can put your card in a protective slab, right. and now you've got your card sealed, although I have seen cards move around in some slabs before, which I think is horrible and needs to be fixed You know, last year. What do you think? What do you? What is your preference? And do you think is there a difference between should you modern versus vintage, sport versus sport? How do you uh, how do you see the grading game as it applies to uh, to cards? PSA and Beckett are my answers, flat out. I mean, SGC is not bad; it's pretty good, and you know, I don't really use the other companies. And and no offense to the other companies in the Canada. Or whoever any other companies beyond those ones are. Um, but for total um, investment and reselling of cards, you cannot beat PSA and then Beckett. You just can't you just can't beat it. Everybody the problem is people don't across worldwide, they know PSA and Beckett. And they know, believe it or not, PSA commands the highest pricing. I mean, look at any auction. I mean why does a why does a Beckett nine uh, five Jordan sell for 40, 40 grand American, but yet a PSA ten that looks almost identical sells for ninety six? Explain that to me. I, I don't know, right? But generally, you know, I mean, it's PSA even for modern and vintage. Um, but statistically, their holder seems to carry, you know, could be up to. 40, 50% more than a Beckett slab one, you know, unless you're getting a Beckett 10, of course, right? Then that's different. That's different. So really what you're saying is it, it it's it's what the market says, right? The market yes. right now says PSA is number one. Their cards and their holders carry the most value, all else being equal, you know, and I, I, I certainly agree with that as far, you know, uh, even myself as a collector, I think a lot of collectors like some sort of uniformity in their collection. And I know I, I yeah. certainly do, but I have started to um, add more non-PSA slab yeah. cards to my collection. But um, I hear you. I mean, and and what do you think? Like, do you think that grading is so important in the hobby right now, especially really the internet and buying over buying from people who, you know, bu buying remotely sight unseen, really, you know, at least now you have an idea the, the, the grade on the card tells you what condition it's in. Do you, do you see there? Like, do you think that raw cards are getting a raw deal pun sort of intended? Not really, because the problem is the third party grading takes out all this guessing. And, you know, you and I can both look at a raw card and you can tell me, oh, I think this is a 10, but I could tell you it's an eight, you know? So we have a third party saying, sorry, guys, this is a nine, five or a nine, you know, and, and, and that eliminates our argument right there. Yeah. And, and we have to believe that the opinion of these people or that person, whoever's grading is, is right, you know, and, you know, for protective and resale value. Uh, it just eliminates a lot of arguments, you know, I mean, uh, also authenticity, it, it eliminates, it elim eliminates counterfeits, right? I mean, look how many fake Gretzky's and Jordan's and, and, you know, whoever else they, they counterfeited are, are out there. So that eliminates that you and I can look at, uh, you know, 
we may look at a counterfeit growth your journey thinking it's maybe it's real it's like that good but you know it isn't yeah you know? so i mean that's really important when you really say important. eliminates i think i a couple things there so you say eliminates well 99.99% of the time or even more yes i agree but i what what people will say is that well companies have slabbed you know cards that are counterfeit yeah. it has Car, ca companies have slab cards that have been trimmed unknowingly. Yeah. Companies have slab cards that have had swatches and patches swapped out. It's happened. But I think, of course, you know, but I think overall it is, you know, we do need to sort of uh, almost, you know, take that leap of faith and just think, okay, if you're buying a card in one of these slabs, chances are that they are authentic, they are unaltered. And they are, you know, the real deal. So the other thing you said was that, you know, you could think it's an eight, I could think it's a nine, and they can say it's a nine five, and we have to trust that. Well, yeah. yes, and no, because like only no, because it is human and it is subjective somewhat. They do right. follow standards, but they may not see everything all the time. And a lot of people will say to you, I, I love I love it. I think I laugh at it, but people will put a card up on Facebook and say, why is this only a four? What's wrong with it? And they expect people, you know, from their living rooms to be able to answer. And I, I say yeah. to people, you, you cannot accurately assess the condition of a card from a picture on a screen. You just, no, you, you just can't. So, um, you know, it's a fun game to play. Guess the grade is fun to play, but you don't, you, you can't really know what a card is going to grade or what it should be by looking at it on a screen. Cause someone took a picture with their camera almost impossible to do, I believe. Um, okay, let's go. Okay, anything else on grading there, Carlos? Um, just to touch a point, because I get asked this question all the time about cross-grading. Okay, so just to let you guys know out there, you know, you can convert PSA slab cards to Beckett and vice versa, all right? And um, a lot of people do that. You know, maybe they get a nine from Beckett. They don't agree with that grade. And, you know, they send it to PSA and maybe they get a PSA 10 out of it, you know. Uh, but for high dollar valued cards, just to let you know, you don't have to crack them out. If you've got something that's a Beckett 9.5, uh, very high dollar value card, and, you know, you can send it to the PSA. They can examine it right through the case. If they, and if they, if they feel it's a PSA 10, then they're going to crack it and put it in their slab. Now, if they don't, as long as you put the minimum grade, I want a PSA 10. Uh, and it, I, I, I was going to say, if they don't agree that it's not at least a PSA 10 or, or the PSA 10, then they're just going to keep it in the Beckett slab and send it back to you. But they're going to charge you for it. But, you know, you a lot of people just don't know that they can do that. Right. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's important for people to know that you can take your slab card and send it yep. to another company and they'll examine it through the holder. But do you think that by, by keeping it in that holder that it might bias the grader at the other company for any reason? Yeah. So I get asked this question too, all the time. I feel it does. Yeah. I feel like a grading company shouldn't have that access, that information. Why should you help them? Right. You're helping them with homework. You don't need to do that. Right. If you want to grade, if they're going to grade your card fairly, the big gamble is to break it out of the case and send it to them raw. That's the gamble. That's yeah. the big gamble. Because if you're sending them a nine, you know, what are the chances they're going to convert that nine to a PSA 10, right? You know, it's probably not going to happen. 
Yeah. But if you send that card raw, you break it out of the nine, and then you send it in, you know, you got a shot. You got a shot at a PSA 10, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, same with same. Listen, it works the other way around. You get a PSA nine, you break it out, you send it to the back, you might get a nine five. Yeah. Right? Fair. So, yeah. Okay, let's go. Let's go back to the comments. We got yeah. lots of lots of more comments here. So I'm going to go up to one that was a little bit a little bit further back here from Charles. A good way to price cards with PSA is to check the PSA website for the prices on the different grades. On yeah, because they have historical um, auction they have prices historical data yeah. that they track. So that's yeah, some good information good. for people that want to know a comp. You yeah. can go see on PSA's website themselves, their, their, their own website for what cards in their slabs have sold for. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty interesting stuff, and it's a good resource. I use it probably daily. Um, <clears throat> what else do we have here, guys? Um, Charles says also on on as far as the virtual expo goes. Yeah, we need to put more money back in the hobby. If you can spend hundreds of dollars on a card, why not five dollars to a guy trying to support the hobby, trying to support, trying to build the hobby. Trying to build his business and feed his family, yeah. which is more than fair, yeah. and really trying to give us something to do, which which I think is awesome. Billy says the same guys complaining about five bucks are probably spending a hundred bucks a month on OnlyFans. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure yeah. that's <laughs> profound. What is it? I don't know. I don't know either. That's fine. Uh Seabass, back to LeBron. If he wins in LA, he will become the first to win with three different franchises. I mean, that's a sign of greatness, right? Yeah. Andy, speaking of Beckett, I still enjoy Beckett for reference, a physical magazine to flip through, see what sects exist, who are in them, and which ones are rookies. Still a valuable resource. I agree. I agree. With all those points, there are reasons still to have a Beckett, but oh, to, yeah. use it, to use it to price your cards, I think you're, you're showing your lack of knowledge and experience and confidence in what you're doing, um, to me personally. Jason says stats don't necessarily mean the best. For example, Bobby Orr, but yeah, LeBron going to add massive value to his legacy. And Bobby Orr had a shortened career, but is considered one of the greatest of all times, if not the greatest by many people. Barry says LeBron is just like trout in baseball. The seemingly imminent stats and accolades to come will drive the value to the stars and maybe really solidify the value that's even already there more than he already has with his personal stats right uh jason says let me clarify or equals jordan gretzky equals lebron stay wise i'm not stat wise cool cool jay-z says this trout sale was bananas yes it was yes it was and you know you gotta wonder a little bit about that auction just because of who the the consignor was to golden it was that vegas dave uh mm-hmm. gentleman who i'm not too familiar with but i mean hey i hope it's legit and Apparently, where it is, the card got paid for, but that may not mean so much. Well, the- it was it was actually seven fifty plus the buyer's fee of twenty percent. So, so the buyer- I, I would like to think that the card, you, Golden Auctions, is one of the actually the more legit places because it takes a lot. You have to actually register. You have to put your credit card. It it there's more to it than just you know buying something on eBay. Sure. So I w- I would like to think the golden auctions is is very very legit. I would like you know I would like to think that as well. And yeah. I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it and I'm gonna put my faith in that and uh, and hope for the best there that that it, that everything is on the up and up and uh, I really have no reason to think it wouldn't be. Um, I don't think so. And you know what? I think I'm probably just tainted by seeing some some people on some various sites or wherever, Facebook groups or whatever, basically, you know, 
throwing caution at the wind for that card, but that might just be people who are skeptical of everything. Uh, Brett says manufactured scarcity equals massive volatility, sometimes impossible to determine and predict prices. Yeah, I mean, it's really impossible, especially for one of ones, unless there's a lot of one of ones of that player with similar attributes to the card, like autos, patches, um, that kind of thing, the type of patch. The So there might be something there. Hey, David Weir, finally, we're all talking about manufactured scarcity. <laughs> Charles says, what do you guys think of KSA? That's uh, one of the Canadian grading companies. Carlos? I I don't see anything wrong with KSA. I mean, if you're doing it from a, a collector's point of view where you want to have your card slabbed, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. You yeah. know? I mean, I, I know the company. They're a great company. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I more or less use Beckett and PSA for my own stuff. But I have a, I have a few little KSA things. But if you want to have your cards slabbed and and looked after here, they're very reasonably priced to do yeah. to do the yeah. service. I see them set up at the expo and they 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 oh, got their yeah. slabbing machine out and they do their slabbings. One thing I can say from my experience of having cards, I've I've had one. It's actually my Howie Morenz rookie, my 1923 William Patterson Howie Morenz rookie. And if anybody out there doesn't know who he was. Howie Morenz was basically the Babe Ruth of hockey. I mean, he's not as well known, obviously, but he was like the first superstar of hockey. I bought a KSA 5 rookie back in like, I don't know, 2007 or 8. And I had it I had it um, crossed over to PSA at the National one year. And the KSA 5 came back at PSA 3. And at first I was like, oh, that that's kind of crappy. But I didn't care. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. With, I bought the card, not the slab. I have the slab in with the rest of my, you know, uniform and PSA with the rest of my Hall of Fame collection. But it did drop two grade points. And that's something that I've seen before with, uh, with that. I've had other cards crossed over that have lost one to three grade points. So, you know, I don't know that their grading standards are as, are as tight or as strong as PSAs and Beckett's. But Otherwise, um, I don't have much more to say about KSA, uh, except that they're, you know, they're making a go of it. They have, they've been around for close to 30 years now, actually. So they're yeah, not, they've been not around new. a long time. KSA's they're not new. Yeah. Um, okay. Finishing off with some comments here. Um, <clears throat> Ziggy says, when is technology going to replace human grades? All the grading companies have their warts in their, in their history. Well, you got to watch my episode, Ziggy, with Karn Rye, because uh, he actually commissioned a study by artificial intelligence PhD students at Queen's University. He paid $15,000 out of his own pocket for the study to see if it was possible. So you can go watch that episode and let me know what you think because um, uh, I'll give you the, the short answer though is that it's really not possible, believe it or not. Unfortunately, it's just really not possible. Or if it is, it's going to take like tens of millions to develop the, 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 the yeah. AI to do it. So I'd stick with the not possible piece. Ziggy says, technology is available that would give accurate examinations and grades. The truth is we don't want the truth. We want, that's nah, actually not true, Ziggy. The technology is not available to do that based on these PhD students study where they, like it was actually a published study that was even presented at some conference. I don't remember which one in Colorado. So you got to go watch that. He then says, if all graders use technology, there would be no, okay, well, we don't have to address that because we know it's not possible. Ziggy, you need to check out Jeremy's episode with Karn. They deep dive it. Yes, we did. <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to put Andy's comment up. I don't want to. Uh, okay. 
Billy says, Carlos, what is your opinion on raising the prices of a player's cards upon their death, i.e. Kobe? Um, I guess cards going up. Do you think it's fair or right? Or is it a good time to buy someone's card if they're like maybe really old and maybe on their way out? You know, that's a catch-22 situation. That's a really uh, – that that's a question that's a double-edged sword, unfortunately. There's going to almost- be a lot of people – that are going to take advantage of a situation like that and, you know, raise the price. And then there's going to be people like, oh, you know what? I want a piece of Kobe. You know, he died. I never got to meet him. Some people will pay crazy money for an autograph because, honestly, that's like the closest they'll ever get. Or, you know, whether we'll, even when Kobe was alive, right? Yeah. You know, it'll be like the closest thing they ever get to Kobe Bryant, right? You know? But, you know, you're going to pay an exorbitant price. Uh I don't think it's right, uh, you know, that people are going to profit off someone's death. But, you know, if, if, the, if, if, if player, if this guy number, you know, Mr. Smith doesn't do it, uh, Mr. Jones is going to do it, right? Yeah. It, it, well, that's really the reality of it. Yeah. And I think also, also the reality is that when somebody passes away, all of a sudden we're reminded of them and their name is in headlines and you get nostalgic and you go down memory lane and that makes you want to connect with them. So you might go buy the yeah. card, you know. Exactly. So so demand goes up. So price goes up. And people that are willing to sell, I mean, yeah. I have I kind of have a hard time, you know, criticizing them for that. Especially, we don't know what their personal situation is. If you need to sell, you need some money. Or if yeah. you're in it for an investment, then, you know, he was, it's not like he was your friend. If he passed away, I, I think we all feel bad for the guy and his family yeah. and his, all his friends and family that remain. But. I don't think it's that big of a, I don't think it's, it's, it's too offensive to sell a card when somebody passes away, but okay. Anyway, listen, I think Carlos, we've had a great chat here. We're coming up on the two hour mark, right where I kind of thought we'd be right where these conversations end up getting to pretty much each, each uh, Wednesday and Saturday. So, um, and the comments have slowed down. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about old school uh, CFL because I know I don't care about it and I don't think Carlos does either. Charles, sorry about that. Andy's buying uh, Don Cherry rookies. That's that's great. <laughs> I think he's just trying to be funny. Um, okay. Okay, man. Listen, Carlos. Thanks a lot for for joining me, man. That was a great great chat. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks, we had a we had great. Inf- and if you if anybody has any questions, you can just uh, go to my Instagram or Jeremy's put my number out there. You guys can text me. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Anything that, you know, you're looking for, just let me know. I can obviously point you in the right direction as well. Yeah. I'm happy to help with uh, any questions you have. Thanks, Carlos. Very generous of you. And guys, Carlos is a wealth of knowledge and experience, a really friendly and nice guy, as you could see here tonight. Follow him on Instagram right there, Sluggers at Sluggers55. Carlos, I want to hear if you get any more followers after this episode. I did. I got a lot of followers as we were going along. There were a lot of people that, that, you know, that's the kind of stuff I have. Those are some of my bigger PC pieces and whatnot. So that's the kind of stuff I usually do. Yeah. Awesome. So guys follow him on Instagram. If you're not already following me on Instagram, you can right there at Jaylee underscore cards. We also have um, sports cards live. I did a Twitter account for it. Sports cards, L I V one. If you want that, don't forget this Saturday, Billy Celio product manager, developer, brand architect from upper deck will be joining me right where you see carlos right now he'll be there on saturday 
that's going to be a great episode. He's one of the nicest guys you'll you'll ever meet. Just a just a, a real friendly guy, super cool guy. So be sure to check out Saturday with Carlos, and then next Wednesday, I've got a guy who's uh, his name is Justin. He's at Six Ten Sports Cards on Instagram. He's got thousands of followers. Real popular guy in the hobby. Big basketball guy again. But what we're going to talk about a lot is what's going on virtually in the hobby. We're going to talk about the the shows he's organized on Instagram. We'll talk about the this virtual expo, and we'll also talk about what the sports card investor group is doing for their what they're calling calling the virtual, which is going to take place during the weekend that National would have otherwise been this year. So we're going to talk about all those things. That should be pretty interesting as well. So look forward to having everybody back on Saturday for that. And uh, all these comments, straggling comments, guys. Um, thank you for everybody for watching. And uh, we will see you all again on Saturday. Carlos, thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.